Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Moore, one of the pastors on staff here, and grateful to be able to be with you here and to bring you God's Word from the book of Philippians, which if you've been with us for the past five weeks, we have been going through this mini-series in chapter 3, so if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the third chapter of Philippians, and we'll conclude this study looking at verses 12 to 14 next week. We will begin our 12-week series in the book of 2 Corinthians, or you might know more familiar as 2 Corinthians. So we look forward to starting that with you all next week. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we um, begin to open your word and read from it, We know that apart from your spirit, uh, nothing can happen, and so we pray that you would graciously uh, do what you promised to do, and that is give us your spirit, or that it may open our eyes and our ears so that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you brought a Bible, again, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 14 of the book of Philippians. Paul says this, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Many of you maybe uh, have seen the movie Captain Phillips. This was a movie that Tom Hanks played the leading role of Captain Richard Phillips. And this was a story that happened in April 2009 where he and his crew and his container ship, he was a container ship captain, was sailing or shipping off the coast of Somalia around the Horn of Africa when some Somali pirates uh, hijacked the ship and overtake it and their whole plan is to take the take the ship and take everybody on it and hold it uh, as hostage for money um, hoping the united states would pay them money and so in a way to sort of um, protect his crew captain phillips gives himself over to um, the somali pirates and finds himself in this lifeboat at the end of the movie for five days in this lifeboat with the pirates, just him at gunpoint, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. To say that he is alone is an understatement. Uh, to say that things are looking pretty um, grim is an understatement too. And many interviews to follow, um, he was sure that he would not make it out of this boat. He was sure that this was the end of his life. All he could think about was his family. All he could think about were the things that uh, he wouldn't see again. And trying to remember the things in the last moments that he had with those that he loved. What Captain Phillips doesn't know at this particular point in the movie, before it ends, is that outside of him is this enormous military presence that over the days has sort of surrounded him in an all-out effort to free him. But at this point, he has no idea how all of this is going to end. And hope seems hopeless. I started this morning to help us understand Paul in this letter as we've been looking at for the past five weeks. That this text, by way of contrast, if we sort of remember, Paul is writing this letter from jail. 
He is in prison towards the end of his ministry. And like Captain Phillips, confined in this lifeboat, as it were, things do not look so good to Paul. Things do not look too um, promising. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't be surprised if we opened the book of Philippians this morning and read from it, Philippians, fellow brothers and sisters, it's been a good run. I'm not sure how this is going to end. They'll probably come for you too in Christ Paul. That wouldn't surprise us. And we wouldn't blame him for it either. But that's not how this letter reads, is it? That's not what you've been hearing over the past five weeks. Is In fact, you read a letter and, and, and nowhere as you read it do you even get the first hint that anything is wrong. You don't even know that he's really in jail. In fact, it reads as though Paul's at some party in many ways, having the time of his life. So in contrast to the Captain Philip situation, it's as if Paul is in this lifeboat, as it, as it were, yet he's writing as if he has the full knowledge and the confidence of everything that is going on outside of him. Of everything that is going on around him. He is not worried There's no concern. And because that's true, there's this enormous joy that overflows in Paul's life and into this letter and into uh, this church in Philippi and now into our lives here. Because you see, I wonder how the Philippians took this. I wonder how they had to sort of scratch their heads and wonder, how can this guy be saying these things? How can he be saying the things that he's saying considering the conditions that he's in? This had to be so encouraging to them. And it also makes me wonder if this letter was at all encouraging to the church in Philippi, then maybe, maybe this letter could also be encouraging to us. For many of us who perhaps even like Paul, but just as Christians in general living our lives here in Fort Worth... Sometimes it's hard to see what's going on around us that's working all of this for good. And so oftentimes the race that we run that we call Christianity becomes something that is anything but joyful. And so my hope this morning as we finish this and as we look at verses 12 to 3, we begin to see where this joy is actually coming from for Paul. Why does he have this confidence Where does he come from in order to write this letter considering his circumstances? And if you have your handout, you'll see there in the bulletin. I want to look at three things. It's really two, but the third is kind of a conclusion. What is the goal here? What are are we after is the first. What do we, or how do we get to the goal? How do we run? And why run in the first place? So three, three things. What is the goal? How do we get there? And why run in the first place? Let's look at this first. What is the goal? What is the goal for Paul? Paul sets up this whole thing, sort of using this metaphor of of a race. So that's kind of the language that I'll be using as well. But the prize, as Paul puts it, isn't going to some place after he dies that we would call heaven. Isn't going some place that he dies where the streets are all paved with gold and there's a mansion for every soul. That is not what the prize is for Paul. For Paul, the prize is Jesus. It is actually getting to be with Jesus after the resurrection of the dead. Period. 
It isn't some type of reputation he might have. It isn't some type of internal peace that he might have, although that comes with it. But the prize, the goal of this for Paul is to be with Jesus. And Paul begins this in verse 12 with an interesting statement. If you look at it, it sounds like what we might call a disclaimer. Paul has been talking about his life. He has uh, been talking about how much he longs to be with Jesus. And more importantly, longs to know the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be like him. But in verse 12, he feels the need to say, not that I have already obtained this. Not that I am already perfect. Why? Well, it has a lot to do with those whom he is writing. And in that day who believed and taught that the actual blessings of heaven, that the realities of the resurrection that is promised to us could be experienced in this life today. And so you have people, as strange as it might sound, going around saying, I've arrived. I'm here. I'm perfect. Look at me. Or worse, you had people believing that this was the goal. That here and now, the point of being a Christ follower was to one day achieve Christ likeness in this lifetime. And Paul is simply saying, no, 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 no. Wait a minute here. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the goal. This is not what we're after. This is not what's promised to us here. And if you notice, Paul is so emphatic about this. He says it twice. Verse 13 is the same as verse 12. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I press on towards the goal. And so Paul is saying, well, hold on here just a second. We need to make sure that we are all on the same page with what the goal is. The goal is not finding perfection in this life. It's not getting to some point where you have arrived or where you might have it all together. Rather, it's actually being with perfection itself. It's being with Jesus at the end of this life. That's what this is all about. That's where we're running. That is where we are headed. And I think this is so challenging for the church and often something we forget because we get so caught up with the actual running. And we should add, we should, we should talk about this. But I think there's a, the church can get so caught up with the actual running that we forget where it is we're actually running and who it is we're running towards. I saw this so clearly whenever I would ask the question or I would hear others respond to the question, what does it mean to have faith? And that's a great question, and we need to talk about that, and we need to uh, ask ask those questions. But it would always show itself that the answers to those questions or the ways that I would think about it would always show itself in sort of a quantitative or qualitative response. For example, I'd hear, you know, you just need to have more faith. Or you just need to have faith, more of it, as if it were quantitative, as if we would run low on it and go to the store and pick some up and then we'd be okay. Quantitative. Or maybe, maybe we would move into certain traditions that would emphasize the quality of our faith. Are you believing the right way? Are you reading the right books? Are you listening to the right sermons? Are you digesting the right theology? In other words, are you believing hard enough? And I would always hear that, I, I don't know if I am. Am I? And look, 
We need to believe the right things. This is not what this is about. We, we definitely need to believe in the right and good theology. But we all know that the quality of our faith never saves us. We all know that it's always the object of our faith that saves us. And so it's as one pastor puts it, it's like the faith becomes the windshield of the car. That is, it's what you look through to the object of where you are going. It's what you look through to see the prize of where you are headed. That's what saves you. But if we get all caught up in looking at the actual windshield itself, if we get all caught up in the actual running, what's the purpose of having a windshield? I'm just going to crash into something. Or more than likely, if we, if we think about that as our Christian lives, we're going to go tired, we're going to despair, and the Christian life is going to lose its joy. Again, I'm not saying that we don't need to check in from time to time and talk about what the Christian life looks like in our lives. We'll be doing a lot of this over the next 12 weeks in the book of 2 Corinthians. But what I am saying, and what I believe Paul is so graciously redirecting us towards in this text is, have you given much thought as to where it is you are going? What is the prize? <clears throat> what is the goal? What is the finish line for you? Because if it's anything other than being with Jesus, chances are you have grown bored and angry with running in the first place. And as a result, as we said, there is no joy in the race anymore. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning, the best thing that Paul can do for us is to remind us or even just to reset the target. Oh, Jesus, that's what this is about. It's about going to Jesus as believers in him, because that's Paul's goal. That's his prize, and that's what he's after. And this moves us to our second point. How is he getting there? How is he getting there? You know, what is he doing? And, and the, I don't have a better way to describe this other than to use the term. It's, the way that he is getting there is sort of this active humility. And I'll try to, under, try to unpack that here in just a second. But now that we're all on the same page as, as Paul moves on, now that we are all on the same page of what the goal is, let's talk about getting there a little bit. In verse 13b, Paul says, but one thing I do. Now, if you're like me, when I hear this, one thing I do. All right, all right here we go. Give me something to do. Um, let me have it, Paul. Here's what he says. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Okay. And that's it. Throughout the years that I've read this and remembered this verse, it's a very... It's kind of a life verse, I think. It's interesting to sort of have been studying this over the week and to think about where this verse has popped up in my life. But whenever I had always read this, I, I always took Paul as sort of thinking, look, you've got to forget about those past mistakes in your life. You've got to forget about the sin in your life. And you need to take on uh, the grace uh, of Jesus and just keep moving forward. Forget about all this stuff back here. Uh, sort of like a spiritual amnesia. But that's not really what Paul has in view here. Uh, to my surprise, what Paul has in view here isn't his past mistakes, although that's probably part of this. What Paul has in view here are his past achievements, are the things that he has done well. The things that all of us would sort of just say, I wish that was on my resume. And the reason he's doing this, the reason he's trying, or at least is saying that we have to forget these things, 
It's because he knows that those are the things that as he's running, he will look to for his own self-validation. Or what we would call justification. He knows that as he runs towards that race, as he runs to Jesus, he's going to begin to look at this resume that he's poured out for us earlier in chapter 3 and say, this is why Jesus should accept me. This is why people should like me. This is why I should like myself. Instead of recognizing that he's already been validated before he even runs. This is what he means when he says forgetting. Remember we said verses 4 to 7, Paul's giving us his resume. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, blah, 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 blah. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, like he gives, gives it to us there. That's, those are the achievements he's forgetting. It's the areas in life that, 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 that would be marked for Paul by trophies on the mantle, plaques on the wall, A++ pluses on the refrigerator, right? bonuses for the, for the jobs that we did, all the I'm proud of you's in life that we hold on to for our own validation. This is what Paul is saying we have to forget. Again, it's not a spiritual, a spiritual amnesia thing, though. It's not that, that, that we just need to act like they're not there. Paul is saying... It's an identity thing. Because those are the things that I will look to for my own justification, for my own self-worth. And I get that. There's many of us in here, including myself, who in many ways are still looking and holding on to everything that we are for that self-validation in the words of, I'm proud of you from a mom or a dad or a friend. And maybe you've gotten that somewhere and you're just looking for the next one. And Paul's saying, you've got to forget those things. You've got to let them go. Because that's not what validates you. And somewhere, somewhere in between that breath and the next, we find the joy of actually beginning to run. Where Paul is telling us, This is what it's all about. You have this enormous validation in Jesus Christ. So run. Run with peace. Run with joy. Run with confidence regardless of your circumstances. I'm in jail. Because I want to be with Jesus. And and this is it. He wants to be with me. He wants to be with me. It's an act of humility. My girls are in a constant state, constant state of validation in their lives right now. And they're looking to two people for that, their mom and their dad. I have four girls under six. But a hundred times throughout the day, Daddy, watch me do this. Daddy, did I do that well? Daddy, was I good at dinner? Daddy, are you proud of me? And then there's one, no, I can brush my own hair. Daddy, I can't brush my hair, but do you like it? You know, it's, it's sort of, I want to do this, but I can't do this, but do you like it anyways? Um, yeah. Um, but it's validation. It's validation. It's all the time. And if there were only a way to sort of communicate to them now that mommy and daddy are enamored with them, close to idol worship, but enamored with them, way before they started doing anything, that would be... Incredible. That they would begin to just enjoy 
the race. But if you're 20 or 30 in here, actually, if you're 60 or 70 or 80, you know that this never stops. You know that this never goes away. We build our lives around validating our running, self-justification, justifying who we are. And a lot of it is what we tell ourselves and nobody else. It's that self-validation that begins to mean more to us than what anybody else would ever say about us. We might say to ourselves, I, I go to church every Sunday. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I adopted. I've lost all my pregnancy weight. I gave generously this year. I bought that homeless man food. I wonder if anybody saw that. My kids are walking with the Lord. Did you hear about my latest SAT scores? And what colleges want me? These are the things that go on in our minds. We might never tell a soul. And these are all good things. And we should care about these things. And we should talk about them. But those things can never validate us. They can never give us what we so long that they will give us. That lasting joy that only comes from the validation that Jesus puts on you. Through his blood. Paul knows himself enough that in the end his desire is to hold on to those things. Not just for God's approval. But for his own self-approval as well. And as we've already said, here's the rub. Somewhere deep inside. There's a part of us that both wants those things to validate us. But at the same time. At the same time, we just we wonder and we ask, is it enough? Is it enough? Will this bring me joy in the end? Is this going to get me there? And Paul again is saying, you've got to let go of that. You've got to forget that. That is not what's going to get you there. And you must press forward. Look, how are you getting to the goal? I think it's a great question. It sounds so fundamental, but I don't know when the last time I've actually asked myself that. How am I getting to Jesus? How are you running? As we've been looking at over the past five weeks, is it by a righteousness of your own? Is it a self-validation or is it a humility that even or that counts even your best days? As your, your best days, as rubbish as Paul puts it, in light of who Jesus says that you are. Because one of those ways is going to kill your joy. And the other is going to create an environment for that joy to flourish. At this point, if we could just kind of look at that for a second. Here are a couple of things of application to sort of help us figure out, all right, which one am I? Where am I looking? How am I running? How am I running? And one way to look at this is when you're running is about justifying yourself. When it's about self-validation, as we've just gotten talking about you actually begin to make yourself the prize, the goal, and not Jesus. And trust me, this is easy to do. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Somewhere along the way, you have convinced yourself that the goal isn't about being with Jesus. That God would actually desire to be with me. The goal, the finish line, 
is the time that you have in order to clean yourself up so that you could be presentable so that he would receive you. You see the difference? You, you thought that, look, I've got to make myself into the prize. Like, why would God want me? And so we run and we run and life then becomes the time God has given me to get things right. And the Puritans had a phrase for this. It was called the double curse. It's not only is it God's judgment that sort of sits over me if I don't get things right, but it's my guilt and shame that I go to bed with every night wondering if I've done enough. And that is what squeezes the joy out of running altogether. That's the first. Making ourselves the prize. Forgetting what the prize actually is. The second way you can tell what the goal is or how it is that you're actually getting to the goal is how you treat others. Look, if I'm expected to be perfect, then you're expected to be perfect too. And it, and it might be bathed with the greatest of intentions, but everyone you come in contact with then is being crushed by the burden that you have now placed upon them with those expectations. That is, nobody, nobody gets to be in process. I know that's a very dangerous word in some circles. Look, I'm not saying that by saying that we're in process that I get to do whatever I want. That's not at all what we're saying. But process is patience because process is grace. Grace not only is patient, but grace is also tough love too. Because I care about this person. I don't want them to be or remain in this state. But if you're not receiving the grace of God, then you're not giving it as well. I don't think, as we look at this text, that we can underestimate the power of an apostle telling us that perfection is not the goal in life. Which means that we get to look at ourselves and we get to look at each other and we get to say, yeah, you know what? They hurt me. And I need to go tell them about it. But I also know that they're in process too. I also know that the Holy Spirit is at work in their life offering the same amount of grace to them as I want to receive on a daily basis. <laughs> Do you see how that works? And as a result, as we begin to live like this, the church begins to operate as a community defined by mercy and grace. It's a community of beggars who have found bread and are just longing to show others where that bread is to be found. That is a wonderful place. That is a place of joy. When we love others and we accept the love other and we accept love of others knowing we are all in process that perfection is not what is, is, is what the Christian life is about right now. That we will not be made perfect till the resurrection, as Paul clearly states later on in the few verses following. This breeds the joy that we all long for because it forces us, it forces us to tap into the grace and patience Jesus shows you and me every second of every day. So not only am I giving that, but I'm reminding myself constantly, oh, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. These are just a couple of ways that I think of applying this can be helpful for us and to really digest what it means to have Jesus as the goal and how to move towards it, as Paul is telling us, with this active humility, this theology of process, if you will. So that joy may come back to our lives as Christians. So we looked at what the goal is, what the prize is, it's Jesus. And we looked a little bit about how we get there. 
with this active humility. And I really want to leave you with the question of why, why run in the first place? And that may seem like an obvious question, um, you know, because Christianity is a good thing, because Jesus is good, and um, that's a good thing. Why, why wouldn't we want to run? And um, I don't want to overlook that because it is the most important part, piece of this whole puzzle. And to close with this, I simply want to look at, at this last part here in verses 12 to 14. As Paul talks about how he presses on to grab hold of Christ because Christ has already grabbed hold of him. If we go back to this idea of Paul being in this jail and writing this letter to the Philippians, <clears throat> you can begin to think that the Philippians might, might be thinking, look, should someone just tell Paul that he's in jail? You know, does he even know where he is right now so that he can come back to reality? And the answer is no, because Paul runs because Christ has seized him, is really what the text says there. I want to come back in closing to the the movie Captain Phillips one last time. If you haven't seen the movie, what I'm about to say will not do the ending justice, so go watch it anyways. But if you remember where we left off, there's Captain Phillips in this lifeboat. Life is looking pretty hopeless, yet... He's surrounded by this powerful military, but he has no idea. And by this point in the movie, there are several warships and boats um, circling and coming in around them. We even find out that our commander-in-chief puts the green light to drop in a a Navy SEAL team. Let's add that to the mix. I mean, you start getting all the resources, um, all the efforts that are going in to get just one person. One person. In the end, it's this entire presence working together that frees Phillips. Literally, and this is the reason I even started with Captain Phillips, to get a sense of the power of what it looks like to seize and overtake a situation for itself. It has to be one of the most impressive tactical military rescues In our modern day, when Paul says in verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He uses this word that literally means to seize, to overtake. He is saying that I press on to seize Christ because he has already what? Seized and overtaken me. It is a military term that is used to describe in victory the effort that went into the literal seizing of that which was captured. And this is how Paul sees himself. And this is where Paul begins to get his confidence as he sits in a jail cell with death a possibility at any moment. Yet writing one of the most joy-filled letters in human existence This is why he runs. This is why he runs. It's not just that he's confident and how the whole thing is going to end. And he is. And we're talking about for all eternity here. But he's overwhelmed with the prospect that there's a God who would care so much about him. That he would unleash an enormous amount of resources. An enormous amount of uh, planning. An enormous amount of care to go in and take and overseas and capture this one person. And for Paul, this is the gospel. This is the gospel for Paul in this jail cell right now. It's Jesus saying to Paul. 
the way I overtake you, the way that I seize you is by dying for you. And if that means that that I go to the cross and suffer humiliation for your sake, consider it done. That's what overwhelms him. That's where this joy comes from. And that is why the race is worth running for Paul. And friends, Jesus doesn't just say this to an apostle, which I think is very, very easy to overlook. He doesn't just say this to the apostle Paul. He says this to you too this morning. That is, if this is what it takes to seize you, then consider it done. I will lay my life down for you. Paul cannot get over this. It's the source of his confidence. It's why he runs no matter what happens to him in this lifetime. Jesus' death to overtake Paul is what makes being with Jesus the goal, the prize, desirable. Something we didn't really get into, and I know we don't have much time left, but look, I get that there are seasons of life when Christianity is not desirable. The race is not desirable. Being here might not be fun for you right now. And in those moments, the, you know, it's not that necessarily we need a better method, but that we need a bigger cross to see the lengths and the depths and, and, and the, what he has done to come after you, to make you his own. Jesus' death to overtake Paul is the reason why the prize is desirable for him. And the same must be true for us. It's what makes the running joyful that he has made us his own because the outcome is certain. It's finished, as Jesus said on the cross before he died. And so what about you? What about me? Do you think that you're worth seizing? Do you think that you're worth all that it took to secure? And the answer is probably no. No, I'm not. At least I don't think I am. But isn't that what makes Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection so beautiful? Is that he does. He thinks you're worth it. He thinks what he's done is a no-brainer if it means that I can have you. That is the gospel for Paul. That is why he runs and that is why we run too. That's why the goal and how the goal becomes so desirable that someone would think of us in that way so as to have us. Paul is just one of many caught up in the story of grace, running for his prize, Jesus. Would we find ourselves caught up in that same story? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own already. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the Philippians and this short two verses, three verses of getting to see Paul's joy for his Savior. Of hearing him dignify those who feel like they're not worth this or worthy of this. And yet being able to see that the Apostle Paul knows he's not worthy or worth this either. 
But that's not where this has the final say. I pray that all of us this morning would look afresh to the goal that we are headed towards. That the desire to be with Jesus would become more desirable because we see the lengths that he has gone to to secure us, to go after us, to have us, to want to be with us. And that that would inform and shape all of our running so that we'd be a people of joy, that we'd be a people that would bring joy not just to this church and community, but to the Fort Worth as well. We pray that we do this to your glory, for your kingdom. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.